Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Welcome to the next edition of our big broadcast. We are live coast to coast. Owner the motor on iHeartRadio. Also, archived audio available via TalkShoe. Thanks for tuning in to the big broadcast. Live video at our website, JiggyJaguar.com. The all-new JiggyJaguar.com coming very soon. 2 Central, 3 Eastern, 12 Pacific, 1 PM Mountain Standard, and of course, what they call 7 at JIJB. I don't even know how to pronounce my own name. I don't even know how to pronounce my own damn gimmick. Well, I've woken Peter up from his nap because I'm an idiot. So, we are going to go to Kenny Zhu. He is going to join us here in just a few seconds. The fantastic Kenny Zhu. He is uh, an interesting individual. Let's get him on the old skip Skype. And then we will get Dan Perkins. IQ hours only in here as well. So let's go to Kenny Zhu. You know, Kenny is just amazing. And I think we've got Kenny Zhu. How are you, sir? Hello? There we are. I've got you. How are you? Hold on, He's making some microphone adjustments on his end. And then uh, I got to get Dan Perkins and IQ in here as well. So we will see what happens here. Uh, get a hold of us online at jiggyjaguar.com. That's the best spot to uh, see what we are up to. And we are going to get... Kenny Zhu in here, here in just a few seconds. And also the fantastic Dan Perkins and IQ Hours only. And, uh... Hello? There we are! I've got you! How are you, Kenny? Yeah. Good, thank you. <laughs> we have got Kenny Zhu with us today. He joins us live, and, um, he is amazing. Uh, Kenny is a guy who is, uh, a lot smarter than, uh, I am, which is part of the reason why we have him on this broadcast. Uh, he is he is uh, joining us live here on our big, big program, and we are patiently waiting on the fantastic Dan Perkins and uh, IQ Rizzoli to join us here on Skype. But, um, Kenny, you have got a lot of things happening in your world. Uh, bring us up to speed on some of the different things that you're, you're working on, my friend. So I run an organization called Colorist United. We advocate for race blind America. We, we believe in racial unity. We want America to be a more unified country, but we can't be a more unified country until we stop, we get rid of race in all of our decision-making. And unfortunately, you see this resurgence of race and decision making. Now people are saying, well, we need more minorities here. We need more black people here. We need fewer Asians here. And this is really bad. You know, we should not be treating people. We should not be judging people on the color of their skin. We should be judging them on the content of their character. Yes. That's what I believe in. We have got. And so if you. If yes. You go ahead, Kenny. Mission, and. We, we target companies that are doing these kinds of things through their DEI programs, like the Salvation Army right now, which is currently teaching their members to repent for racism uh, and that certain races have white privilege and everything like that, which we don't believe in at all. These are the least racist people ever. In fact, the Salvation Army is the counterexample to DEI because of how many Americans give so generously to help minorities. Um, so if you believe in this mission, I... Colorist, you sign our letter 
send directly to your local uh, commissioner. We have got Kenny Zhu with us today. He has got an inconvenient minority, the attack on Asian American excellence in the fight for meteorocracy. He's also the president of Color Us United, which advocates for a colorblind society. Um, so, Kenny, something else that happened, uh, God, what was it, yesterday, the Supreme Court is going to be hearing arguments in this Harvard Affirmative Action case. Uh, do you have any details on, on any of this? Yeah, I have details. So, James, I'm with you. Yes, yes. We've got IQL Rizzoli as well. Kenny, um, are you still with no, us? I Kenny, think I, I think we lost you, my friend. In fact, his voice is too low. Yes. Uh, Kenny, can you can you somehow fix that on your end? Because I'm not we're not hearing you well. In fact, we're not hearing you at all. Can you can you hear me? Faintly. Yes, very low. Faintly. You're very low, Kenny. Was it was it better before? Uh I, no, you're, no. you're going in and out. I, I I don't know if you've got maybe a microphone hooked up that's just not plugged in all the way, or or if you've got a headset or or, or what's going on there. But but you were you were good and then you were gone, Kenny. Yeah. Well, uh, this is what I have right now. Sorry. Hey, that that's fine. That 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 that's fine. Um. <laughs> Let me see if I can fix case, it. What I, as I was saying, yeah, yeah. Case against Harvard discrimination policy that Asian Americans and white asked to have higher standards in their admission process just because they're Asian doesn't make any difference how American somebody is. So. Keith, how are you, sir? I'm good. Uh, I'm going to be coming back to you here in just a few moments. I've got another interview that I'm finishing up, and then I will come right to you, my friend. So I will be back with you here in just a few moments. Don't go anywhere. We, uh, we, we've, we, we've got another guest. I've got to go finish that up. But uh, I will be right back with you, my friend. Okay, sounds good. Yes, I can hear you. Do you uh, remember you did your first radio show <laughs> with me on on Jim? Oh, Jim. We're 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 back. I I Kenny, um, but let's let let's see if we can get you on uh, next week when when we can get maybe we maybe we can get you a a little bit better of a microphone or get something going because you're. You've got some really good information, but me yeah. and IQ and Dan can barely hear you, my friend. And I and I don't wanna, I don't wanna shortchange you, but I also don't wanna shortchange the audience. So um, why don't uh, we we try to do this again next week, same time? All right, just send an invite. Thank you. No problem. No problem. Okay. Well, we are going to do this. Looking forward to it, sir. I am going to hang up here, and I'm going to go add you guys onto another call. And uh, we are going to go add them in with our other guest. Uh, we're going to go get Kevin in here. And uh, we are also going to add in IQ and Dan. And uh, we are going to... I, I I I I don't know. We're 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 going to attempt to make this work today. Uh, welcome to it. It is the world famous Cheeky Jaguar Radio broadcast, coast to coast, border to border on iHeartRadio today. You can also get our archived audio over there at j i g g y j a g u a r dot com. So we are going to get uh, IQ in here, and I think we've got a. 
there, there we are. Okay, we are going to see if we can get our uh, get get something. I'm back with you. There we are. We've got IQ. Uh, I think we might have Dan. Yes, we've we've we we've, we've got you guys, and we've also got our guest with us today. Um, he joins us live here on our big, big broadcast. Dr. Keith Smith is with us. He's a medical doctor. He is also a uh, CEO and managing partner of the... We're going to get rid of that. I don't know who that is. We're going to get rid of them. Um, we have got Dr. Smith with us today. He joins us live here on our big, big broadcast. The topic is, should we trust the government with our health? Um, Dr. Smith, you've written an incredible article. We're going to post it on our website. Um, but tell tell us a little bit about this, and then I know that Dan and IQ will have some questions for you. I don't know what is going on with that. Um, but um, Keith Smith, t- talk to us, my friend. We've got you. Yeah. Can you hear me? Okay. I've got you. I've got you. You're you're excellent. Tell us all about it. We're having all sorts of sound problems today with Skype. But I hope we can get things going. So, Dr. Smith, the floor is yours. Tell us all about it, my friend. Well, yeah, I wrote this article uh, just questioning whether or not the government could claim that they care. You know, they they sit on this throne supposedly caring too much about us uh, so that they have to claim it. We have got um, Keith Smith with us today. In fact, what I'm going to do is I'm going to do this. I'm going to try to fix this. We're going to mute him there, and we'll see if this one works. Um, we're, we're getting all sorts of, I don't know what Feedback. is going on here. Yes, there's. It's just, it's just like Joe Dirt says, I don't like no feedback. Um <laughs> We're going to remove that Keith from the call, and I'm going to call him back, and uh, we'll try this some more here. Um, <laughs> it's always it's it's always fun here on a fabulous fabulous Tuesday. Um, thanks for joining us this week here on 50 Plus AM FM stations and um, the big network and uh, Keith. Um, we'll try this again. Um, so you, you have this article, should we trust the government with our health? Tell us a little bit about this article. And then I know Dan and IQ and myself, will have some questions. The floor is yours, my friend. Tell us. Okay. Uh, you, you can hear me. Okay. I've got you. I've got you. We okay. want to hear all about the article, man. All right. Well, I wrote this article, um, in response to the whole idea that government, uh, can claim, that they care about us. Um, I, I don't think that's valid. Um, I think skepticism is warranted uh, whenever the government uh, decides to mandate something and tell us that we have to do it uh, because it's for our own good. Well, for that to be true, they would have to actually care about us. Uh, and I'm not sure that that's valid. Uh, and I think Skepticism is warranted about whether they even care about us. Um, just if you look back in history, and, and historically the government um, has not only shown a lack of care, um, but they've actually uh, harmed uh, Americans and have never acknowledged it, uh, much less much less apologized for it. And you don't have to go back any further than um, prohibition when um, alcohol that the government knew was meant for distribution um, and in its failed interdiction efforts decided they would just poison uh, the alcohol with methanol. And by conservative estimates, they blinded, uh, gave renal failure to and killed um, 250,000 Americans who consumed this alcohol that they knew uh, was going to uh, be the the object of bootlegging and would be consumed. They've never really acknowledged that, much less apologized for it. Uh, no one was held accountable for this. 
And and I there are countless examples of where the government has actually actively uh, harmed uh, American citizens. So so whenever you know somebody wants to mandate this or that, whether it's a vaccine or anything else, you know, and we you know we're supposed to do it because it's it's good for us, and they know better, you know, what we need than we do. If you if you realize they don't even care about us, uh, then I think all of those mandates have to be called into question. And furthermore, um, the idea that these politicians should be involved at all um, in in the decisions about medical care and its delivery, I think falls under the axe and has to be questioned. And 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 I don't think that the profession of politics and the profession of medicine belong together at all. So, Dan, uh, we'll lead yes, it off yes, with sir. you. What do you have first, my friend? I think you may not get much time today. I, I'm fascinated what you had to say. As I was listening to what you were saying, immediately the Tuskegee men and the syphilis testing that was done on them without their knowledge and when they found out the treatment with refusing to give it to them allowed them to pass the syphilis to multiple generations of black people. To me, it was just another example of what you're talking about. But back to show how far back and probably even further back, this decision-making on the medical issues as it relates to the American people. Uh, the more current issue, obviously, is COVID-19. And the the illogical nature of how the bureaucrats made an unscientific recommendation. I, I wrote, I've probably written more on COVID-19 and the mandates than anything else. I write for, as Jim says, I take up more ink than I'm entitled to. Um, I, I write for 35 blogs on it on a, a rotating basis, and I've written more about COVID-19 and what's been going on about that than anything else I've written about. And and I look at what's going on and that we're not, we know closer to the truth today about where it actually came from and was it what I believe it was, but a lot of people are very, very afraid to say this. This was biological warfare on the part of the Chinese government against the United States and the Western industrialized nations that it got out of control. And so I, I, I look at it and I say that you're right. You're absolutely right. And we could spend hours talking about the number of ways in which the government is, is out of whack and doing things it shouldn't be doing at the expense of the lives of the American people. I mean, I, I, I think one of the greatest tragedy, the result of COVID-19 mandates is that we have destroyed an entire generation of American people who will never catch up. You can't go to summer school and make up what you've lost by not being in the classroom for two years. And and, and the, we don't seem to be that there are some, some people who are upset about it, myself included. But as, as a country, we don't seem to be enraged at what our government did to our children. We kind of just let it go. And so I, I look at it that, that I'll be anxious to read your article. Um, we've got a situation where the government has become a group of elitists who have decided that they will decide what is best for the American people not letting the American people decide what they think is the best thing for them. And that, that is manifested in, in the COVID-19 and, and also the government deciding that it's all right. Uh, as, as Joe Biden said two weeks ago, it's immoral for not allowing a 13-year-old child to cut off her breast or cut off his penis. The parents don't have a right in that decision. And this is, again, the elitists in the government making decisions for people that they should be not making those decisions for people, period. 
doctor, do you, do you, do you have, do you have a response there? Yeah. The, the Tuskegee, um, experiment is, a is another example. Um, I was limited in this article's length on what I, what I could list the list, the list of crimes against the American people by the United States government is too long. Um, it's too long to list, but Tuskegee is definitely another one. Another one that I that I did write about in the article uh, was John F. Kennedy's decision to derail a Pentagon's plan uh, to uh, shoot down an American airliner and blame it on the Cubans as a pretext to invade Cuba and that Operation Northwoods, and he, he shut that down. But the, these are the kind of things that are, uh, they're not only not apologized for, they're not even acknowledged. So, you know, a government that uh, won't atone uh, will not be um, remorseful or show any contrition uh, for acts like this is one that I think um, we should not trust uh, with basically anything they say. I mean, the I always also point out in the article that you know, politicians can admit mistakes. Uh, they admit mistakes at their own professional peril. And, you know, to be mistaken now and admit it in the in the realm of politics is to end your career. Whereas physicians um, have to be prepared to admit that they're on the wrong diagnostic path. And, and you know, we we make a provisional diagnosis and then we go down that path we order all kinds of tests to figure out if that decision is right or wrong, all the while prepared to admit, no, nope, got fooled on this one. We need to go a different direction. So our our business and caring about people depends on our willingness and almost our eagerness to admit that, that we've been hoodwinked by an, an unusual presentation, um, Whereas politicians, their survival depends on never admitting, much less apologizing for some mistake. And so that's really the punchline of this article is that medicine and politics are oil and water. They do not belong together. And government's involvement in our profession needs to be rooted out. Doctor, is there, is there any example that you can point to in the history of the planet where politicians admitted that they were wrong. I don't know of one. <laughs> you don't know of one? Is that what you said? I don't. And and I'm not 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 some deal, some whitewash where somebody says, Oh, I should have looked at this a little differently. You know, now that I know what I know, I you know, I should have looked at this differently. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking with somebody really says I was absolutely wrong. I apologize. That's unheard of. Uh, and and the more Americans are harmed or killed, the least the less likely it is that someone's going to own that. Doctor, we have a um, a hearing yesterday in the United States Supreme Court, and uh, unfortunately, we had some technical difficulties, but. We were about to speak with a gentleman whose organization was one of the organizations responsible for suing Harvard and some of the Ivy League schools for their discrimination against um, Asian Americans. And I, 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 I did the first interview with him that this guy had ever done when he was forming his organization. We talked about during the Second World War what the Roosevelt administration did of isolating um, Chinese Americans and Asian Americans in concentration camps in California. Um, for no real, after the war, never finding any discernible reason why we should have done that, other than it, it seemed to be politically expedient to punish those people, meaning those people who were of Asian descent, to um, uh, want to uh, harm America when, in fact, that was not true. Um, and so I, I imagine, I, as, as I listen to what you said, your list didn't go much longer. You had a limitation of words and space 
Um, what do you think was the most egregious mistake that the government politicians made? I don't know. I I would say that um, if someone is physically harmed or killed um, intentionally uh, by government policy, uh, that would be that would be near the top of the list. Um, and that you know that that's why I listed the the poisoning of a quarter of a million or killing a quarter of a million Americans during prohibition. Um, you know, and, and again. You know, one, one, you know, a million murders is a statistic. You know, it, you know, one is a tragedy. So, the, the likelihood of ever hearing any sort of even acknowledgement um, of, you know, this being a mistake. You know, that this was this was really bad. This was poor decision making. Of course, they might do it, might do it now because all the people responsible are dead. They were probably all promoted. That's typically what government does. Uh, when some think uh, or Turkey um, decides to um, murder or maim or injure Americans, they typically are promoted. So, uh, you know, any anything, you know, wars that are fought under false pretenses, I mean, any of those things where people are, are harmed or even killed um, as a result of government policy would go to the top of my list. So would... would um... Would the uh, the uh, execution, the murdering of the Jews in World War II by Hitler uh, fall in that category, as far as you're concerned? Well, yeah, I mean, the state is the state. Um, the the state is is that entity that you know has a monopoly on force in a geographical area. Um, so, you know what what Hitler did as an agent of the state is reprehensible. Um, but what what the American government and some of the people in the United States government have have done as agents of the state is also reprehensible. And the state in itself is a, a very can be a very evil um, institution. And the point of my article is we got to keep the state and the practice of medicine separate um, because they are ruled um, by completely different rules. Um, and the rules at the state invariably involve deception um, and an unwillingness to admit to mistakes. Doctor, I'm, I'm not a, uh, a scientist in the sense of a tool in the study of the sciences of particular things, but I've, I've read a lot. And, and I, I, I wonder from your perspective, um, we heard almost from the very beginning um, a positioning of Dr. Fauci, a medical doctor, as almost godlike, that he was the one that was making the decision. He, as he said, I believe, quote, I am science. And so that he made a lot of decisions where he tried to get us to believe, and many of us did, that this was about the science, and those who didn't agree with him were not didn't believe in the science. What's your what's your take on the way he conducted himself? Well, um, I hesitate to call him a medical doctor. Uh, he has an MD, uh, which means he graduated from medical school, but I don't believe he ever practiced medicine. Mm -hmm. um, so, so the thing I would urge people to keep in mind about. Um, Anthony Fauci is he was held up to be uh, the hero of AIDS when nothing could be farther from the truth. Yep, uh, you don't have yep. to look very far to discover that Anthony Fauci was the goat. He was he was shouted down um, when he was trying to give speeches by um, an organization called ACT UP. Um, they would find out where he was speaking and they would go there and they would shout him down until he went off the stage. This guy was hated and he was hated by the people who were suffering with AIDS because he was preventing them from getting the treatment that they needed. There was um, a pneumonia condition called pneumocystis carni. Mm -hmm. 
it, it was treated easily with a very inexpensive antibiotic called sulfamethoxazole, um, and it basically is Bactrim or Septra, a very inexpensive antibiotic. And people knew that that was a, that was a great treatment uh, for a lot of these patients that had pneumocystis. And Anthony Fauci stood in the way and insisted that all of these people take a drug called ACT that was made by a company in Great Britain called GlaxoSmithKline. And so once again, he stepped in uh, on behalf of Big Pharma and, and in the way of a treatment that would have saved many, 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 many people who were suffering from this um, AIDS pneumonia. He was shot, he was the goat. Um, and the other, the other person who was a goat uh, during AIDS was Robert Redfield, he, you know, the head of the CDC um, at the time, and he was um, he was front and center at the beginning of all of this um, business with COVID-19. Redfield eventually turned on Fauci um, here uh, during COVID-19, but these people are these people their past is so sordid, and so to to hold uh, hold Fauci up as the hero of AIDS is really misinformed. Um, he was the goat. He was hated. Um, and how in the world how in the world he's maintained his position all through these years, um, I think can only be explained through the wildest uh, type of deception. So he was he, he, some people think, myself included, he had some very cozy relationships with Big Pharma. And he he basically used his leverage to manipulate the marketplaces so that big pharma could benefit significantly uh, from his decision. Well, you know, Murray Rothbard, the great um, Austrian economist, in his uh, historical method, he said uh, we should use the, the method cui bono, who benefits, um, and, and then you start there. And Robert Higgs, uh, the fam uh, famous Austrian economist, talks about the precautionary principle, where uh, you know the person who is advocating some action or force bears the responsibility of of explaining really why that's good for everyone. So the burden of proof, um, you know, should be on whoever it is it's advocating for. Said so the precautionary principle. So I think if you apply those two principles um, to to the actions of uh, people like Fauci and and the rest of the Finks um, in government that you know that worked with him, I think I think this fails. It's hard to know what is true um, in this sea of lies we live in now. It's really difficult to know what's true. I've decided uh, in order to at least get close. I'm going to eliminate from consideration the statements of known liars. Um, and, and so once you do that, you really whittle things down. Uh, that doesn't mean that what they're saying is not true, uh, but I, I think the burden of proof um, is on uh, the person that makes a statement who is a known liar, you know, who has lied to us in the past. And that just happens to be uh, many of the deceivers in government who can't admit that they're wrong. So if you can't admit that you're wrong, if you can't admit that you've made a mistake, if you can't even acknowledge that, uh, then what are you going to do? Well, you're going to deceive and you're going to lie about it. So I reject anything that any representative of government says, not um, not as false, but as as a statement they have to prove. I shouldn't be in the position of having to disprove uh, what these deceivers say, um, but I think a lot of skepticism is warranted um, when we hear, you know, this or that official in government has declared this or that to be true. I think the burden of proof is on them. It's not. It's not on us to disprove it. Doctor, um, I want to ask you a question. I want to give you a heads up that uh, I'm, I'm not attacking you personally. I'm just raising an issue that I think needs to be raised for for perhaps generations, if not centuries. In the world, one of the most 
revered and honored profession was that of a doctor. And people trusted what the doctor said. They knew that he or she was never always perfect. They were doing the best they could. But because they had such great success, as a doctor got older and more experienced and, and more uh, accurate in what he was doing and trying to treat people, he became or he became more and more revered. And so the medical profession carried a very special place in the hearts and the minds of people around the world, including America. And sometimes doctors got full of themselves and believed that they were, as I said earlier in the discussion, they were, they were gods. They, they, they could do no wrong. They could only, only heal. And yet the, their own Hippocratic oath is, you would force and foremost do no harm. Um, has the ego of the, quote, doctors changed as we've, we've run into the pandemic and other things like the pandemic where um, people are making decisions not so much on the science but on their egos? Yeah, I don't think um, human nature has changed. I don't think the human nature of physicians has changed. I think what has changed um, is that as the government has become more involved um, in the practice of medicine, the free market has been crowded out. So if you own a restaurant and you serve terrible food, you go out of business. If you own a restaurant and you serve just mediocre food and a good restaurant opens across the street, you go out of business. Uh, and that's a good thing. When the market is not at work, uh, when bad doctors don't go out of business, um, then you see more of what you've described. And the government, um, as an agent of force, is actually the opposite um, of a free market where buyers and sellers engage in a, in a mutual, mutually beneficial exchange. Uh -huh. So I think as the free market gets crowded out um, with government being more and more involved um, in the industry, then you see, you see players that remain in the industry and in the business who should be out of business. So I see this as not a it's really a um, refusal to allow uh, the free market to work its magic in our industry. And I run a surgery center where we have all of our prices posted online. We don't accept money from the government. We don't accept money from insurance companies. So we are a very free market um, outfit. We put our money where our mouth is. If we don't do a good job, we go out of business. People don't come see us because they're enrolled in some plan um, you know, and that's just where they need to go. So I think if we see more of the market pressure and discipline that every other industry in this country has to endure, then we'll see a return to an industry like it like it used to be, where you know the the physician's door is open because because people want to patronize them because you know everybody knows he's good. Doctor, I have one more question for you, then I'm going to turn it over to my good friend, Ike, and let him, uh, let him uh, talk with you. Um, you know, I, I, following up what you just said, um, I think this is another example of where the government is involved where they shouldn't be. And that is, I, I was uh, uh, visiting with a doctor of mine, and I noticed a sign on his front counter where he said after December 23rd, we'll no longer accept Aetna. And I, so I said, you've been with him a long time. He said, what's going on? He said, the way that Aetna has repriced their business, I can't afford to have them as uh, an insurance company because what they're, they're, they're allowing, the, the, they say to the customer, the patient, your copay is $35. And of a portion of that copay has to be paid by the physician back to Aetna 
and that reduction in the fee income by the doctor is struggling to stay, stay in business. And IQ lives in London, where we have socialized medicine. And I think that the government is trying to move 100% of our medical care into socialized medicine. And IQ, I wanted you to jump in there and tell me what's going on in Europe and what you think of it. Well, to tell you the truth, in England, I was I had to go to a hospital a few months ago. I had an episode where I fainted. The treatment was five stars. You won't believe it, but it was five stars. The hospitals, I went to three different hospitals, 100% clean, excellent service. I mean, those women and men who work there, who deal with death and diseases every day and come out home and go uh, and are still sane the next day, I take my hat for them, I swear to you. They were amazing, and it didn't cost me a dime. So, whether socialist, modesty, you want to call it whatever name it is, is irrelevant to me. What is relevant to me is nobody gets sick in England and is not taken care of. Nobody. And it's excellent, excellent hospitals, really. And I agree with the doctor. When you put the government in control, you have a monopoly. There is no contest anymore. Everything goes, goes down the chute. Everything is destroyed. The economy is destroyed. The quality of life is destroyed. And the businesses are destroyed. The government should be out of it. This is why Trump was so successful. Trump was running America not as a politician, but as a CEO of a, of a company. He gave everybody the freedom to act. And if you don't act properly, as the doctor said, you lose, you leave, that's it, you're gone. Because you're not providing the service. But what's happening under the Democrats, by the way, doctor, I'm an outsider looking in, so I'm not, uh, I don't vote for Trump or vote for Biden. All I'm saying is the excellence of America was the freedom of the American individual to excel or to fail. That's it. That's the bottom line. Back to you, sir. Yeah, I'm, um, I'm going to push back pretty hard. <laughs> I'm looking at an article on The Guardian 12 million people could be on the National Health Service waiting list in England by 2025. So the idea that government should be involved in medical care at all, and a great example of why the government should not be involved, I would argue, is England's National Health Service. I would also argue um, in Canada, the Canadian system is a disaster and it is completely socialized. And Canadians come to Surgery Center of Oklahoma, my facility, to, to get care because it is care that is just simply not available there. And the average wait time now for a hysterectomy uh, for a woman living in Canada is three years, during which time they're receiving transfusions. And so they come to Oklahoma and they have their surgery. The average wait time for a knee replacement is two years. We operated on, on a patient several weeks ago, a simple ankle arthroscopy to remove a loose body on a 28-year-old. And he was told in Canada it would be five years to wait. I would call a five-year wait completely unavailable. That is insane. It's insane. <laughs> it's insane. Wow, five years. Come back five in five years. years, brother, and then we'll get it fixed. Yeah, so, you know, you, you, have, wow. you have to come to grips with the idea that resources are limited. 
they are not infinite. So if you have limited resources and really unlimited demand, then you have to embrace some form of system, some form of rationing. So you can either have the free market do the rationing, which is the best system we've come up with so far that that results in the most efficient utilization of resources, or you can have a bureaucrat, you could have a politician, you can have someone who basically lies for a living because they can never admit mistakes. So um, in the in the UK, you say it's free, nothing's free. Uh, you're paying for it at, with exorbitant uh, taxes and you have to wait. And in the United States, people don't have to wait that long uh, and people, people get care here. Nobody's thrown out on the curb. So I, I would argue that that the system um, in the in the UK, if if people like that, that's great. Um, I don't want that. I don't want a bureaucrat deciding for me that I have to wait five years uh, to have to have surgery uh, because they believe that there's some other priority um, uh, that that that's more important than than mine. So I push back pretty hard against socialized medicine. Um, and for the reasons I write in this article, that government uh, and medical practice do not belong together. The government and medical, sorry, go on, go no, on. Go. No, 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 go, go, go. No, no, I, I agree with the doctor that you can't mix medical, but I'll tell you something else. In America, if somebody gets sick and has an operation, how much does it cost? It's all on my website. Go to surgerycenterok.com. We've had patients come to us from England. So there is a there is a free market revolution uh, going on in the United States, and it's really good news. Um, where people are posting prices online. If they don't post a price, you can just call them up and say, ask the question you just asked, you know, I've torn my Achilles tendon. How much is that going to be? I need a tonsillectomy. I need a gallbladder. I need a colon resection. I have a pituitary tumor. How much is that going to cost? Uh, go to atlasbillingcompany.com. Go to the Free Market Medical Association's website um, and look at Shop Health. Prices everywhere. So people actually do know uh, what it's going to cost. It's shockingly um, affordable. That's the first time I ever heard that. Literally. This is the I first did. time. Yeah, no, yeah, fair I, enough. But no, this is the no, first I, time I heard it. No, it's a great question. I, I launched um, our website with all-inclusive pricing in 2009. Um, and the result of that was Donald Trump signed an executive order that mandated that all the hospitals in the United States had to post prices. None of them have done it. Uh, but it, it has changed the narrative. I, I, I'm actually, in the short term, I remain pessimistic about the medical industry in the United States. In the long term, uh, in my lifetime, I'm very optimistic uh, because the needle has moved uh, so that people all over the world uh, have prices now, not just in Mexico, Panama, uh, Cuba, Costa Rica, um, Cayman Islands, where people traditionally have traveled to receive care, India, um, but they're, in the United States now, there are many, many facilities and hospitals um, that will either respond to a phone inquiry or you can look on their website and see the prices there. Thank you for the advice. Thank you very much. Yes, sir. You're welcome. I don't have, I'm in my car, so I don't have a computer, but I had uh, in February, I had a, a stent put in one of my arteries in my heart um, at Lee Health here in, in Southwest Florida. And I was in the hospital four days and uh, they put in a stent and the, you want to take a guess of what the bill was? I know what it would have been here in Oklahoma City. What was that? 10,000. Right. 12 times that. I'm not surprised. 
Yeah, I'm not surprised at all. It's 10,000 here uh, for a, a placement of a stent in your coronary artery. It's about it's about 10,000. It might be 11,000. It's between 10 and 11. And you think about you think about that. That's a lot of money. But if you're paying $1,500 a month for health insurance to Blue Cross, that's 18,000 in a year. Uh huh. You could just bank. You could bank one year's premiums and easily cover that bill. Right. You can buy open heart surgery here in Oklahoma City for thirty-four thousand. So if you need a coronary artery bypass, that's about thirty-four thousand. That's a lot of money, uh, but that's less than a car, <laughs> and it's less than two years premiums uh, to one of these insurance companies. So yeah, that I'm not surprised your bill was that high. Not in Florida. So how is this going to change? What, what what are the Americans going to do to, to bring about change? They can uh, they can educate themselves. Uh, they can always ask the doctor, the hospital, how much how much is this going to be? Um, if they work for uh, a company, they can ask their employer. Uh, you know why why are you not uh, patronizing, or would you consider patronizing uh, someone who is price transparent, uh, so that you know you don't have to charge the employees as much uh, for their contribution to the plan? There, there are a lot of things people can do. People can reject uh, all the insurance companies and join a cost-sharing ministry. Look at Christian Healthcare Ministries or Samaritan or Sidera, uh, Medishare. Um, there are cost-sharing ministries out there that are very affordable, and they should just reject insurance altogether. And then they'll be back in control of their care. They should seek out a direct primary care doctor. Um, if your doctor is a hospital employee, they don't work for you. They work for the hospital. So you should fire that doctor and go find direct primary care um, that those doctors work for you. It's a subscription type arrangement where you pay 70 or 80 dollars a month and you have unlimited access to a primary care doctor now the doctor is it is it the the subscription model um whether it's uh, uh non-profit or whatever the um the idea of it is that we we share each other's responsibility for the price of care. But when you do that, is the price of care working for those organizations? Does it have to come down? Yeah, I, I think I understand your question. If you're paying $80 a month and you have unlimited access to a primary care doctor, then you're not worried that if I go see the doctor, this is going to cost me money. You're also not worried that if I need to see the doctor, I'm going to have to wait three weeks. Um, you get in immediately, um, and so med medical issues are treated quicker. They're treated faster, and um, if you ev everybody can wrap their minds around the idea that the sooner you get to a problem, um, the more likely you are uh, to fix it without severe sequela. But the, the the accessibility to the doctor to solve the problem is it less expensive than the traditional approach? Is it less expensive than what? The traditional approach to what we've been doing in the past. Well, I mean, the market will decide whether it's a value or not. Whether it's less expensive depends on the patient. So if you're someone who doesn't go see the doctor, but probably every three years, and you're paying $80 a month, and you go once every three years, no, that's, that's not for you. But if you're someone that has medical problems, you have medical issues, and absolutely. So it is it is made for the sickest people. Now, this subscription model is ideal for the diabetic that needs their uh, blood sugar closely regulated um, and and in a real dynamic relationship with their physician. So you know, this this is made made for the people who have medical problems, and so. Yes, it would be much, much cheaper 
um, for the person to have a subscription um, arrangement than to go see the doctor in a regular way. Also, they're probably not going to go see the doctor um, if they don't have a subscription arrangement pretty regularly because it's going to cost them too much money. When you look at what's going on with more and more under Obamacare, um, a lot of physicians were forced to give up their private practice and become the employees of the hospital because they couldn't make enough money to sustain their practice in private practice with the reimbursement. Is that getting any better or is it worse? I think it's plateaued. Um, people should not underestimate this direct primary care movement. There are a lot of physicians that succumbed uh, to hospital employment, as you stated, that have had enough, that are burnt out, they're done, and they're either going to quit or they're going to subscribe to a different type of practice model. And direct primary care is there to, to save them. Um, and there are other direct primary care doctors who are providing financial support for the hospital employee who wants to jump off of that boat. Um, I've, this is a very powerful movement that is sweeping the country. And it's not just in uh, family practice, primary care. We're seeing it in internal medicine, seeing it in pediatrics. I'm seeing it in fields like rheumatology and neurology, uh, where patients, you know, get established with the doctor and have multiple visits with them. Uh, so it makes it makes a lot of makes a lot of sense. And I think that I think it's very powerful and it's worth people keeping their eye on. Um, I've noticed since I moved to Florida, uh, the significant number of doctors that I go to that partner with a nurse practitioner in their practice. And that they have, sometimes they may have two or three that, that, that a single physician. And most of the time, you never really ever see the doctor, you see the nurse practitioner, unless there's a serious problem. Is that, uh, one of the founders of the direct primary care movement is in Sarasota, Florida, Dr. Lee Gross. Um, he, he basically invented this movement along with uh, Josh Umber, um, who's on Fox News all the time, um, who is just north of me in Wichita, Kansas. So, you know, this is the market at work. Um, there's obviously a market for nurse practitioners. People, some people want to go see a nurse practitioner. They don't want to see a doctor. Um, mm -hmm. but, there, but there are people who do not want to see a nurse practitioner. They want to see a doctor. So, you know, the market is at work, and if you go see a doctor and you want to see the doctor and you're seeing a nurse practitioner, then you need to find yourself a different doctor. You need to find yourself a direct primary care doctor who will see you. Okay, thank you. Welcome. So, as we wrap up here, let's start with IQ. IQ, what, 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 what did you think of today's show, my friend? As usual, excellent show. But I didn't mention something which is relevant. I pay an equivalent maybe of $10,000 a year in private care. So if I have an emergency, I don't have to wait. So the people who wait, sorry, the people who wait is because they don't have any private insurance, which is unfortunate because as you said, it will take three, four, five, sometimes seven years before they get in. But in my case, I can have it immediately. So that $10,000 you're paying IQ, is that the equivalent of healthcare insurance? Yeah, look, over a period of my lifetime so far, I've paid hundreds of dollars, and I haven't been sick. You understand? So what I pay yeah. compensates somebody who's really ill. Mm -hmm. Yes. I've never been, I've never claimed in all these years for a serious illness. Never had one. I was lucky so far. So far. But as, as, as the doctor said, I have to pay for it. Yes. Yeah. I have to pay for it. Thank you. Thank you very much. So, um, Dan, how do, we, uh, how, how do we get your books and everything, my friend? Um, the base website is uh, danperkins.guru. Um, and it's a link to 
all the other websites, Songs and Stories for Soldiers, which is our ministry to veterans, treating uh, uh, traumatic brain injury, PTSD, sleep deprivation, and suicide prevention. And then you can go to, from there, you can go to Blacks and Whites, which is now my new, almost a year old now, um, network that deals with uh, the freedom of speech. Um, and we're just growing every day. Uh, sorry, I'm, um, I haven't had a bed to sleep in for six weeks because of the hurricane. I'm sleeping on the floor on an air mattress. And we finally got a, a, a bed last night. I couldn't sleep in the bed, so I apologize for yawning. I just, <laughs> no, you're I'm fine. Just, you're fine, my friend. You're I'm fine. tired. But uh, we're working very hard here in, in Sanibel in Southeast Florida. Uh, just devastating, devastating destruction. And uh, uh, I was out at the house today. They've They've cleaned all the furniture out. Now they've got to go in and take out the flooring and the carpeting and the walls to the cabinets to get down to the basic studs to, so they can start the mitigation from the mold. Mm. You know, I think I can begin to see kind of the end. Uh, I'm hopeful by the end of the week they'll have everything torn out of the house and um, um, they'll spray it for mold and then uh, they have to bring in inspectors. And then once it's uh, once it's been cleared of being mold free, and we get the other stuff picked up on the outside, we've got we're not we're not going back because where we're staying is um, uh, where we wanted to be anyway. But we'll probably put it on the market sometime next year and see what we can get for it. It has been an experience. I, I, I we stayed a, a few days with our cousins up in in Tampa when we when we ran out of water and and. Uh, electricity and food and um we're sitting at a chick-fil-a for lunch one day and i said to my cousin jim i said i don't think anybody in our immediate or extended family has ever gone through what gary and i are going through and he said nope we've never had anybody survive a cat four hurricane and <laughs> and uh i i just think People just can't imagine what it's like to live through it when you're seeing the wind blowing at 150 miles an hour and uh, palm trees bent over and things going flying through the air. But we survived it, and uh, we'll we'll survive this and get it fixed up and move on with the rest of our life. Well, uh, Dr. Keith Smith has been our guest today. He's a medical doctor. He is fantastic. And uh, we were talking about the article he has written called Should We Trust the Government with Our Health? Um, Dr. Smith, before we let you go, uh, give us some details. How do we get in touch with you online? All the various, all the various pertinent information. Well, we are um, our website, surgerycenterok.com. I uh, encourage people to check out the Free Market Medical Association, fma.org. Um, we're on Facebook, we're on Twitter, uh, we're on Instagram, Surgery Center of Oklahoma. Um, give, us a, give us a like, follow. On, we have a YouTube page, subscribe to that. There are a lot of videos there where and I describe uh, some of the some medical economics uh, through my free market lens. Um, I appreciate you having me on the show. Dr. Right, so where can we get your article? What's that? Yeah, where where where, where, where can we see your article? Is that up on the website or the article is at aapsonline.org. And um, the Americans the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons, uh, it's on their website. Fantastic. Good. Thank you. Well, uh, uh well, Dr. Smith, thank you for doing this. Dan, good luck with everything. We'll talk to you next Tuesday. And IQ, as always, we will see you on Thursday. Thank you. Thank you, Thanks Dr. to everybody for joining us this week here on our big, big program. And that wraps it up. From a interesting jiggyjaguar.com. Thank you for joining
joining us. And uh, if you want to find us each and every day, you can do so over there at jaguar.com. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.